What's up, everyone? Welcome to our very first episode zero of what I don't even know what we're going to call this, like a Mandalorian after show thing. Obviously, this is a pre-show. Uh, we're we're going to do an episode all about speculation, answering questions. But uh, the point of this show is to have different guests on every week to talk about the episodes as they are released. And uh, I could think of no one better to have on for our very first episode than uh, our friends Ken and Joseph over at the Force Center podcast. Welcome, Ken and Joseph. Hello there. Great. <laughs> the, the 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 bearded Jedi have arrived. <laughs> Your beard I, I'm is trying working to keep up. I'm trying to keep up with you, and I just can't. <laughs> Young beard uh, Ken and Joseph are two of my favorite people to talk about Star Wars with. And uh, so we're just going to talk about our hopes and dreams for season two now that it's a week out. Uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, you can leave them in the chat. Uh, but yeah, let's just get going. Uh, are you guys excited for The Mandalorian season two? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How yeah. weird would it be if we were like, nah? <laughs> well, it's over. <laughs> and show. that's the show. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very excited. Uh, simply, it's that idea of new, fresh Star Wars. And it's great that a, a, a streaming show is, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say on the level of a new movie coming, but it's that excitement. My, my excitement can't tell the difference right now. I, I just know I have new Star Wars coming. That's cool. Yeah, it's really fun to be in that specific zone where it is. Yeah, it's just it's new Star Wars stuff. There are new big ideas. There are new like cool looking ships and action and all that kind of just great stuff. But also it's that unique fun time where we're in the middle of a Star Wars story that we're all invested in and excited to see what happens next and, and makes a discussion like this even more interesting because we have, you know, some things to go on about what might happen next. Uh, how is, I was. Yeah, go ahead, Molly. I was going to say, since pandemic started, like the days of the week don't matter anymore. But now they will because Fridays are much more exciting. We're going to be anchored, yes, with something. That's a great point, Molly. We'll have we'll all have something like Thursday night into Friday morning. We'll we'll know what time it is. Mando Eve and Mando Day, yeah, <laughs> weekly holidays. How is everyone feeling? going into season two compared to season one uh are you more excited less excited the same Ooh, uh i'm appropriately excited <laughs> responsibly uh, excited yeah responsibly excited yeah i think what was so great is we did know so very little uh going into season one uh several of us kind of had that that bubble from the kind of idea from somewhere that ooh, there's a twist in episode one that makes this different than what everybody's expecting so we kind of had that going in but now I think we've got uh, just all, all of the love. Uh, th there's that. I'm sure we'll talk about there's a little bit of that worry of like, well, now we've had time to build up what we want to see happen. And that sometimes makes us uh, have a hard time enjoying what is there because we're looking at our own expectations. But it's also just great knowing that, you know, really intense Star Wars fans like ourselves have all this info and all this idea. And then just the whole world is like, ah, baby Yoda's back. Great. So kind of having that love is like I get to experience as a Star Wars fans with other intense Star Wars fans, but also knowing that I get to experience it with all of social media. And it's probably going to be generally positive because no matter what, baby Yoda's going to be cute. <laughs> yeah. Even my mom is like, isn't that Mandalorian show coming back on? And I was like, oh, look at you. <laughs> uh, I, I Yeah, I'm with Joseph. I think I'm, I'm perhaps even more excited. And I was uh, going into season one. I was, I was, ex I, mean, I was curious and excited, but I, I just was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be the type of Star Wars show that I'm interested in. I was really clued in on Kenobi and Cassian Andor, and I don't know, bounty hunters, grim underworld stuff. Uh, it's not what I go to first. And then this, the show by episode two is something totally different and unexpected. And and I just am excited to see if they can still capture that vibe and, and how are they going to surprise us and how are they going to subvert our expectations? It's going to be part of the fun too. Well, that's, I remember uh, we were all at celebration last year. And when we went to that Mandalorian panel afterwards, I, I think, especially me and Ken, I remember talking and being like, I don't know about that. Like, and it was just because the footage wasn't done and they didn't specify that, but we were like, I don't know if that, is really what we want. 
I mean, I almost got into a fist fight with Alex Backus and Steve Ellis from Black Series Rebels because they were like, that's the greatest thing ever. And I was like, is it? Is it really? Um, but, uh, you know, the important lesson is to just uh, sit back and just uh, enjoy it as it comes and, and just not go with too, too much, not, not going with your arms folded. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I think the powerful thing about that footage was that it was, like you're saying, unfinished, but the bulk of it was totally out of context, uh, just an office scene between Mando and the client. And Werner Herzog, great, but just it was that, like, the first time Star Wars is going to be on television, and a Mando will have some business dealings with a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's so great then to see that come on and see it in context, and now the client is like, one of my favorite characters, and that scene is one of my favorite scenes, and it was a great reminder that, boy, context matters. Well, it's interesting that as we go into season two, we've had one trailer teaser and one special look um whatever that means and so we've only had like three total minutes uh and and they didn't give away much at all so i don't know what what do you think are the big takeaways what what do you think that we're going to see this season based off of that marketing yeah um yeah, I think for me, the first one in particular was really artful in that it was it showed action, it showed uh, fun, but I think it really showed characters. And I think it really showed this very specific emotional stake of uh, if the first season was this is the way the second season was sort of like, what is the cost of the way there was so much in there that was reminding you that all of this is because of all of this action and violence is because of this innocent child, the way it was framed, and that he's connected to this mysterious, possibly violent past. And he himself is now learning so much about the necessary violence of his dad that as soon as he sees those lights on dad's wrist, it means close the pram and just listen to the violence in the darkness. It's like a really funny, great moment. But also thematically, it's really saying to you, uh, you know, uh, these story uh, threads were building up in the first season, but it really makes me think that the second season is going to be about this clan of two and who is going to change who more, uh, the child or the Mando, vice versa, and what is the cost of kind of walking the path of the Mandalorian when you're uh, in charge of an innocent baby. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm right there with Joseph. When Joseph said uh, the, the cost of the way being kind of a theme that kind of jumped out to me, and it's, it's just you see it kind of in all the marketing, which I think I don't know what you, you and uh, Molly feel like, Alex, but I, I think we, for as a brand at Force Center, we just we kind of love that we don't have a lot of visuals to go off. It's just these themes and emotions, and and the idea of of this little pack of two going forward. And as they, the goal, like Joseph just said, there, it's it's always it's around this child, and I don't want it to go too far from that. As the story gets potentially bigger with more characters rumored or not i i want it to stay on on this relationship this uh, son and uh, son and father so to speak yeah molly I mean, do you agree do you want more baby yoda uh um, <laughs> yes i'm also kind of afraid for what's going to happen to him who's gonna drop him like how many times like just, i'm filled with anxiety mm. um but but yeah going into season one we all got to experience seeing baby Yoda for the first time and seeing the dark saber at the end. And like moments like that were so incredible to see not knowing anything about it beforehand. So yeah, I'm glad that we didn't see any big reveals in the trailers going into this. Yeah. Even some of the stuff that uh, has been rumored for a long time, like it's been impossible to avoid all that stuff, but uh I'm glad that they're not just saying like, yeah, you know what? Here it is. I'd rather they keep that stuff in the dark. Um, yeah, uh, that that that, that uh, special look as we all we talked about on Force Center. Uh, Joseph and I broke down the uh, that trailer, but uh, but like it's it was for a general Monday Night Football audience, and I don't know if they're going to react to a Ahsoka Tano character. You know, we still don't know 100 percent if she's in. You know, but like there, uh, you know, if you're if you're just a casual Star Wars fan, you're like, great blue lady. Uh, I, I, what, what's there for it? And I think they've, they know that, uh, they need to pull in more subscribers. They know they're going to get the subscribers back, but they need to pull in more. And, and you're not going to get that with specific references. You're going to get that with whiz bang, boom. Don't you like boom? You got it here at Mandalorian. <laughs> I, I do. I want to go and touch on, uh, what you were saying about the cost of the way. That's a very good way of saying 
that I, I think that something that they were touching on in the first season and that I hope it's still about is anytime baby Yoda witnesses or it, it, yeah, anytime baby Yoda is around violence, it, it kind of goes in close on his face and it's like, he's watching, he sees this. And then like, it comes to a head in episode seven where he force chokes Cara Dune. And he's like, yeah, I'm learning. I'm picking this stuff up <laughs> and hoping. I, I remember the roller coaster that I went on. Cause I thought he was about to like force push uh, the Mando's hand so that he won the, <laughs> the, the, the arm wrestle. But instead he's like going a little dark side. And that uh, in episode four, the Mandalorian was like, I'm just going to leave the child here because I still have my life. that's full of crime and killing and stuff. And, he doesn't belong around that, but if he's going to care for this child, he has to eventually decide to give it all up. Yeah, so it was some of our favorite stuff here. I, I still one of my favorite moments is is the child kind of walking like his father into the bar on uh, <laughs> Oregon. Like, uh, and what you're talking about there, and just uh, you know, to me, the heart of season one was that IG Eleven real re- rehabilitation scene with Quill, kind of explaining. You know, we are droids are just what's imprinted on them and you can rewire, you can reprogram and you can grow and change. And there's kind of the heart of season one. And and there you got the Mandalorian is just just imprinting, whether he means to or not, his way on the child. And like Joseph says, going into season two is what what's the cost of that? But also, does he realize that? Is he trying to change it? And, and, and that's why I want it to stay around the child and, and Mando most 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 of the way through the season. I'm sure. We'll yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think another great thing that the trailers have done, besides just use the armor to remind us of the the basic setup of, hey, find this kid's people, you know, maybe Jedi, maybe Force users, maybe whatever these little wrinkly, cute green things are, find them. Uh, yep. And then the next trailer we get the, uh, I think I'm going to try to find uh, Mandalorians to help me with that. But all of it is this kind of great reminder, too, that the armor at the end of uh, the first season validated all these things that he did that he thought was maybe moving away from the Mando path by being willing to become this father who cares about this innocent thing totally validates him by saying like, actually, yeah, no, that's your clan and it's honorable and it's your mission. But there's also like this flip side of he got validated, but now it's his quest. As they said in the special look, now it's the thing that he has to do because his sort of cultural leader, the armor gave him this assignment, which puts him in this great, like, I think, young parent even like first time you have a job or whatever that you want and you have that mixed feeling of like i worked so hard for this i got validated i want it ah damn now i have to change my entire life and do it and and i'm wondering (laughs) if we're gonna see a little bit of that of that conflicted like i love him i will do anything to protect him god i would love two days without him like (laughs) to have that kind of tension yeah I'm excited to see his baby yoda's personality grow a little bit i don't know what what new things they're going to have him do. But like we talked about, yeah, he learned from all the violence in season one. I'm wondering how he's going to change in season two. We've definitely seen that he has both in him. He can heal with the force. He can attack with the force. And I I think he's just young enough that he can go either way. Uh, So I I, I do think we're going to see more of the dark side from him. I think the force choke was just a little tease and it's going to get probably worse before it gets better unfortunately yeah i'm wondering if he's going to get really used to daddy's uh weapons and daddy's strategy so we'll see something like an action scene where uh, mando loses his blaster and the child's just like daddy needs that (laughs) throwing it to him yeah yeah he's gonna get a hold of the dark saber for sure (laughs) or or the pulse rifle yeah Yeah. it's got to go somewhere it's got to be somewhere yeah return of the pulse i think that's chapter three joseph daddy needs this (laughs) (laughs) chapter three daddy needs pulse rifle yeah and yeah the child just hold out his hand and the pulse rifle will come flying back for wherever it ended up well you mentioned uh that the mandalorian is going to be looking for other mandalorians which i think that was maybe the biggest plot point dropped by both of the first looks uh what do you think that means for the story who do you think we could run into known characters new characters uh it's all fair play at this point yeah i I, i'm definitely excited for new characters definitely excited the show succeeded in in season one of just 
showing, hey, you don't need all the names, you know, and I'm someone, I love the Skywalker saga, and I love the Rebellion versus the Empire, and I love, I love the known Star Wars world, but even, even by the end of this one, I was like, gosh, I loved, I loved IG-11. I didn't need IG-88, so I do want some new Mandos, but definitely i i am i'm really uh, buying into the rumors uh the the, the bo-katan katie sackoff is bo-katan uh the dark saber being involved it just just makes sense and i'm excited to see what happens when uh dinjar and his way of being a mando uh meets up when he has to meet up with other mandos and maybe is there a different interpretation and and that's part of discovering your their identities moving forward in the story too that's exciting for me yeah, I'm with Ken. I'm excited for new characters. I'm excited for Bo-Katan. I think an interaction with Bo-Katan could, in a really character-driving way, get to some of these different cultural uh, Mandalorian beliefs. Bo-Katan is like, you know, born on Mandalore kind of Mandalorian and has a slightly different uh, perspective. Uh, Din Djarin sees it as a creed. There's something about that. There's something about the armor's uh, specific group. That's all about uh, not taking off the helmet. That could be an actual interesting character interaction rather than just like, here's the information so you know canonically how helmets work. Uh, I think Bo-Katan's a character who could really bring those things out. But th- the single biggest Mandalorian thing that I am hopeful for and excited for is that other rumors are true and that Tamora Morrison would be back as Boba Fett. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, of the era that grew up with Boba Fett when he was mysterious and cool, kind of same perspective that John Favreau had. I uh, I think when he started this show of what if my Boba Fett action figure found my Yoda action figure and Yoda was a baby, and I'll write that show. Uh, but I think there's so much potential with Boba Fett in this uh, particular context uh, because there's so much storytelling about him. They didn't really get finished by the Clone Wars. You know, we know that he is a different clone from the clones, but he's still a clone. And we know that, you know, Prime Minister Almec doesn't think that Django and by extension Boba are Mandalorians. But if it is a creed and not just a people, what does Boba Fett? Does Boba Fett think he's a Mandalorian? If he did come out of the Sarlacc and he doesn't have his armor anymore and it's just Tamura Morrison, if it's old man Fett, and he has baggage and perspective, it could con- just entirely recontextualize Boba Fett, and we could just see a great uh, Fett renaissance. <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to dovetail on that, uh, Joseph and I are very excited about this possibility of, of, of like Joseph just said, recontextualizing Boba Fett and adding some layers to him, because I think Filoni in Episode 5, which is not my favorite of the chapters, uh, that Tuscan Raider scene is just one of the best scenes because it takes something that we grew up with, calling them sand people and all that kind of stuff, and, and and here's this other view. And now I can't watch New Hope or I can't watch Attack the Clones or any any other time while well, Phantom Menace during the, the, the pod race. I can't watch the Tuscan Raiders and not see them a little differently now. And that's just that one little scene. If Filoni uh, with Favreau leading the way can can take this character that we all think we know or we all think we know he what he isn't and present something new, if it's there. Again, we like to speculate responsibly at Force Center. You can put up the graphic. <laughs> you can put up the graphic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll wait to see. But, uh, yeah, Joseph's right, man. The, the chance to recontextualize old man Boba is interesting to me. Yeah. Molly, yeah. counterpoint. I'm, well, I've been saying from the beginning that I don't see how Boba Fett fits into this story. And I really, in season one, I was just like, I just don't want him to show up and and steal the show. But I mean, yeah, hearing you guys say that we could get a completely different story for him. And yeah, if he's just, he he doesn't have the armor, he's just an old guy. Like I, I would be interested to see like what, what he brings to the show. If he's, if he's in it going back to Bo-Katan though, Mm -hmm. I did uh, think it would be cool. That scene from the newest TV spot where they're kind of like breaking out of that Imperial base. If they, if they are in fact rescuing Bo-Katan who Moff Gideon may or may not have captured. Yeah. That's that's where a lot of this, like I'm cool with all of these appearances. I don't want the show to become like a show of cameos where every episode it's like, and now we're meeting Ahsoka and now we're meeting Bo-Katan. But I, I, I'm curious how they're going to integrate some of this stuff if it's all true. And I do like the idea of like, oh, Gideon's got the dark saber. How'd he get it? Where's Bo-Katan? Maybe he has her under lock and key. That's kind of a cool thought. 
I think I think what's comforting to me because I'm not someone who grew up a big Boba Fett fan. I saw someone in chat say Boba Fett's overrated. I, I would be in that school. Here's a chance to properly rate him, so to speak, or to re reevaluate him. And I everyone loves Dave Filoni, the man in the cowboy hat. But one thing you know I do love about Dave is I think he he knows and he says in that Disney Disney Gallery monologue that everyone went crazy for, rightfully so. Just it, it isn't it, it, it you know it isn't the, the ships and the action. It's it's the themes and what's behind it all. So that's why I trust and I'm comfortable by the fact that if they do start bringing in these characters, because I'm with you, Alex. Like. I'm here for Mando. I'm here for child uh, child. I'm here for grief Carga. Uh, definitely here for grief Carga. man. I want more grief. Um, uh, you know, I, if these other characters start coming in, I really trust that they'll know how to do it, that they'll present the why of why they're bringing these characters in. I totally agree. Uh, yeah. More than a next chapter on a Wikipedia entry. You know, and I know you're there for that too, but uh, <laughs> it comforts me if that helps. Yeah. I think that's just a great thing to, to, I, I have to do this for myself too. Cause I get real excited about the Boba Fett thing and start writing the scene in my head. Uh, and that's kind of what the speculate responsibly thing about is about is like, that's great to speculate, but then for myself, me, yes, cover my face with that. Um, <laughs> for myself, I have to go like, Hey, if Boba Fett doesn't show up at all, or if the Boba Fett context is entirely different, eh, it doesn't matter. Let me look at what's there. Um, and to Ken's point, I think one of the biggest things that, that we need to speculate about is just let's look at exactly how the stories were told in season one, because that's probably how the story is going to be told in season two. They did a ton in season one of tip of the iceberg storytelling of, we just, we just learn a little bit about this person or a little bit about this culture. You know, in fact, that's the thing that a lot of us fans were kind of consternated about halfway through season one of like, wait, I thought IG 11 and Cara Dune were going to be main characters. Aren't they just supposed to get on the ship? Let's go. And the show was so focused on Mando and the child and developing the characters. And I don't think season two is going to be any different. I don't think it's suddenly going to be like, and now chapter six is just all about Ahsoka. I think if anything, the characters are going to be a little bit more like, uh, sorry, you were expecting more, <laughs> but this character is a cameo because we're really focused on this slow burn storytelling where actually a ton of things plot wise don't actually happen it's much more about individual adventures that show us the characters and the big picture storytelling is kind of kind of slow moving and i don't mean it in a, in a in a bad way i just mean like structurally i i agree with all of that uh yeah. real quick we have a a trivia question for molly molly don't look down uh, thanks for the super chat, Ted Comet. Uh, how many toes does Baby Yoda have? <laughs> Three. Easy, easy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Three toes. Uh, and then D Train also sent in a question. Uh, that this is a good discussion question because we haven't really talked about behind the scenes yet. Are we worried that Deborah Chow and Taika Waititi didn't return this season, or the current director is good enough to deliver a great season? I I'm really excited for the directors that they've lined up. I think the only reason. Deborah isn't working on Mando's because she's doing all of Kenobi, uh, which I'm thrilled for because she, her two episodes are probably my favorite in season one of Mando, and Taika's probably working on Thor four and his Star Wars movie. I think it's probably just a time issue more than anything. Uh, agreed, agreed. Uh, he's one of seventeen people with a greenlit Star Wars movie. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great question because uh, those were two. Episode eight is just, I, I really do love where that episode ends up. Uh, and uh, Deborah Chow is wonderful. Episode three, it was she comes out of the gate with that one. Uh, but with uh, the other directors, especially Fayuma, I just absolutely have uh, really got to discover now through this, was aware of him, hadn't really taken the time to investigate who he was. I just love everything he did. I love everything he said in that Disney Gallery show, which if anyone mm -hmm. out there has not watched that, get, do yourself a favor, leading up into season two, watch that. And I love Bryce Alice Howard, her energy and what she brought and episode four, which uh, the, the, the Sorgan stuff, I, I didn't necessarily love it at first. Like I was like, cause that was the first episode where we're like, Oh, we're off here doing this mini boss mission, but everything she put in that uh, it's so key to ma the Mandalorian's growth and maturation and, and, and change and what's at stake for him, what he's already given up in his life, what he feels he can't have because of what he feels he has to do or knows he has to do. She presented all that so well. So I I'm excited. And Carl Weathers directed. Like, mm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, who else? Robert Rodriguez is doing I'm so, an episode. Yeah. Peyton Reed. I'm yeah. so excited for Robert Rodriguez. I don't know why. Like, 
uh, he's I wouldn't call him a favorite director. I really like a lot of his work, but when they announced him and he shared that photo, I was like, I don't know why it just feels right to me. Are we going to well, get a Grindhouse type episode <laughs> of God, Mandalorian? I, so. I, <laughs> I think there's love, every possibility. But even beyond that, you know, uh, a little more gray in our beards here, but I was in film school when he was making the rounds doing El Mariachi. I think that Robert Rodriguez is going to be one that shows up. His other stuff's great. I even saw Spy Kids in the theater, all right? But El Mariachi, the first, that before he remade it with a bigger budget, I think the spirit uh, in what those that is, um, Antonio Banderas, uh, you know, be, walking in with the, the guitar case, that's kind of the Mandalorian too. Uh, so I'm excited as well. I've heard you guys talk a lot about that, like that planet just covered in graffiti. Uh, I, I'm all of a sudden like, I wonder if that's Rodriguez's stuff. I, that just kind of feels like the mariachi to me a little bit. Maybe all that, uh, the stuff with the, the Gamorrean guards fighting in the gladiator ring, like that, that just kind of gives off a Rodriguez look for me. Yeah. Especially like from dusk till dawn, uh, that, that kind of feel. Yeah, that dirty. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I'm really excited about the mix for the directors of the old and new and old being like, you know, from the first season of Mandalorian, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like Rick Famuyiwa, you know, that there was that kind of hint in the Disney gallery that he was going to be more involved with all of season two, not just as a director, but as working out all the fights. And I believe and he's make, also, oh yeah, that's right. They yeah. Kind of making sure that they all have that, that storytelling in the fight. And uh, Rick Famuyiwa is totally echoing what Ken said. You know, I went and watched his film dope, which was amazing, which on like one hand couldn't be more different from star Wars, but on the other hand was like this total, like coming of age, you have to step into your power to become who you were meant to be, but you're a complex person, just like amazing stuff from him. And then, yeah, I think that there's this excitement for people like Robert Rodriguez, Rodriguez, not just because uh, they're great directors and some of their work really ties into what the Mandalorian is, but like, I think creators are really excited to play in the world of Star Wars and the world of Mandalorian. And then they've got to be insanely excited to just literally play in the world of the volume. Mm -hmm. And to, so to have new people come in and go, oh, wow, I watched Disney Gallery. <laughs> Not literally, because they were working on it before, but that idea of like, oh, now I see what is possible. I see how creative all of you other directors got. This is like a, just an a, a opportunity to be extra creative about the technology and the storytelling. I, I believe Rick was listed as writing episode seven. So now that you say that about the fight, I'm wondering if mm. that's just going to be like a crazy action packed episode that, that might be the, I, I would say that could be like the prison breakout episode, but I wouldn't be surprised if most of the trailers are from very early in the season. Kind of hope that's the case. Yeah. Makes sense. Agreed. Uh, Got another question from Big Eyebrow Man. <laughs> uh, what do you think Ahsoka could bring to the Mandalorian character-wise? Hmm. I mean, I, it would be... I really want him to meet a Force user and just be like, hey, what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I agree I don't want her to have a big role, um, but for him to just get a little bit more insight on the Jedi and force users other than what he briefly learned from the armor uh, will be interesting. Yeah. I think she brings this uh, perspective and, you know, depending on exactly what has happened to her, uh, if, you know, this is, you know, post Ezra search that we, you know, are all, we're all sort of teased by, by the end of rebels, who knows exactly where Ahsoka is now, but just going by what we already know about Ahsoka just philosophically, she can throw a lot at him that's really interesting of like, well, the Jedi were real complex. They were, you know, are the Mandalorians good or bad? Well, the Jedi are the same. We uh, we were not a people. We were a creed. And, you know, I kind of developed my own creed, which is mm -hmm. just, you know, when I see something wrong, I fix it. Seems like you're already kind of similar to my Jedi path. You saw something wrong with this kid and you fixed it. Uh, so why don't you go over there and do that? Like, I think she's she might really play the um, the Jedi mentor role and pull out what is similar in the path of a Jedi like Ahsoka. I know she's not technically a Jedi, but you know what I mean? Uh, the force user path of Ahsoka in what is similar to that to the Mando's path. I, I think that's a really great point. Uh, yeah, I, go ahead, Alex. I just, the, the Mandalorian, I think, is 
largely going to be about like uh what does it mean to be a mandalorian and he's so concerned about the rules and it's like okay the armor doesn't make you a mandalorian it's not the best car it's like it's what you do and yeah i think that the the jedi of the prequels kind of get a lot of flack for like they became more uh about the rules and their uh what do they say we will not their mandate stuff like that uh that they wouldn't step out and solve problems that they saw needed solving if that it wasn't within their mandate and i, I think ahsoka does kind of have that like mentality of it's it's not about the rules it's about you know what you do with the power that you're given i think that's a great point yeah to again go back to episode four of, of chapter four of season one and and Mandalorian, he's already on this mission, right? He already has a connection to this, essentially a foundling. But but a lot of what he's doing early on is is to collect a bounty. I think we know he's already given up the idea of collecting the bounty and the child. But when when he when end of episode three, but even episode four, he doesn't go help the village out of the good of his heart right away. Mm-hmm. It's for money, for cash, and and, and kind of what Joseph's saying. What just I was trying to think, what is Ahsoka as a character, especially where she ends up? And who knows if she's been on some kind of crazy adventure in unknown regions and Ezra and all those other things, all those hows and the whats of her. That's one thing. But to come back and if she imprints any of that on the Mandalorian, uh, not even worried about the, the, the child at this point in, in my brain of just like, her saying, you know, you're, you're just like Justin saying, you're you're kind of going around helping people now, and, and 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 you're continuing this growth from where you were as a bounty hunter, and you're stepping into um, what it means to be a Mandalorian, so, and then if Bo-Katan's there, and 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 any kind of mentions of Satine cries and all those kind of things, that could be key. That could be a fun way. I don't, I don't know if that's how they'd use her, or if it's just that it's maybe a little narrow use of her uh, in terms of the story. But I, I'd be interested in that kind of interaction. Yeah, I think that's great. I think there's also this uh, fun connection that they might poke at of uh, Din Djarin is somebody who was sort of a victim of the Clone Wars, uh, we believe, from what we've seen in season one. Uh, it would be interesting for him to encounter someone who fought in the Clone Wars. Hmm. Yeah, good point. And and she's got a pretty rich history with Mandalorians. Yep. So. It is interesting the way she could be. Well, a should <laughs> we're we're talking about this as if it's confirmed i feel like we've heard about it so many times that it's just like i guess it's happening but you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i guess do you guys buy into these rumors uh, uh, I mean, there's, uh, <laughs> there's one i 100% buy in because we just know um uh, off the record stuff but uh the other ones it all makes sense and i believe a lot of enough news flows flows around you start to believe it but but even like i like timothy oliphant uh being in here um i i'm such a fan of cobb vanth and i'm choosing to get myself hyped up for it i'm the and same it, way yeah if it turns out he's uh you know jack vanth and then he's the cousin and, and it's something else i gotta i gotta lower my <laughs> expectations and just go that direction because i I really do love uh, Cobb Vant, uh, this uh, former slave turned self-titled sheriff of uh, Freetown, and and all that could be perhaps walking around in Boba Fett's armor. Like, that's interesting. Now you get, now you got me uh, really, really, uh, you know, intrigued if he shows up. Um, but I don't. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. Yeah. I'd love to see a Cobb Vant Boba Fett interaction too. Like, yo, yeah, Spider Man. I think there's a lot going on there. A lot of possibilities with different ideas of what is honor, what is the armor for all that stuff. Uh, yeah. For the rumors, like some of, I, I kind of go by exactly who is reporting them. What kind of cheeky responses do the actors or creators uh, make on social media? So some of them, I give a, a decent amount of credence. What I don't want to do is, 100 percent expect big juicy scenes like uh, this is so much fun uh to have the I, I got whole boba fett scenes in my mind we just talked about a bunch of great ahsoka stuff i also think it's entirely possible that yes the rumors are entirely correct ahsoka live action uh she is the 10 second teaser at the end <laughs> of season two um and, and i think it's really important to keep that in mind of it it can be true from a certain point of view. Yeah, I mean, it could be he's looking for Mandalorians, he finds Sabine, or he finds Bo-Katan, and they could both be in contact with uh, with Ahsoka. And then, like, the last shot is the Mandalorian character entering a ship, and Ahsoka's like, oh, hey, well, see ya. Like, <laughs> just a very small 
And while we're talking about some of the stuff in Boba Fett specifically, Mike V asks, uh, not sure how much Boba we'd see from Tamira Morrison as opposed to Rex. Remember, Rex ages faster, but Boba doesn't. Do you think Disney would spend a lot of money on de-aging Morrison for Boba? Honestly, I think, I mean, who knows what going into a Sarlacc pit does to you? Uh, (laughs) Cover him in scars, like, I I don't think the age is an issue. Plus living on Tatooine. I mean, do it. Getting de-aged, that's that's Tamora Morrison's thing. I mean, you, you go watch Aquaman. He's he's ready to go. The technology yeah. is there. Um, yeah, I also I mean, I, I totally get where the question is coming from. It's a, a really great thought experiment with all the differences between Tamora Morrison and Rex. And I would love to see him uh, honestly play both because I would love to see Boba Fett wrestle with that history of what it what it means for him to have worn the Mandalorian armor and what does it mean for him to be a clone? Because that that's another great discussion of honor for Rex to be like. Uh, you know, for Din Djarin and Rex to get Boba Fett in a corner, <laughs> Din Djarin go, you're not a Mandalorian. <laughs> and Rex go, you're not a clone. You don't have honor. Like, Boba Fett's got a lot uh, to push back on uh, <laughs> yeah. in the real world for people disliking him and in the world of Star Wars for people yeah. disliking him. But I also just think, like, what we've seen so far from the first season, um, I think Filoni keeps track of all of the canon. But we've seen from the first season of Mandalorian and the end of Clone Wars, uh they're not going to let any real technical thing stop them from playing. Right. I mean, Filoni changed the color of the lightsabers from Ahsoka, even though it was in a book. Right. Uh, And I think that both uh, Favreau and Filoni are in a point where like, they're not going to upend any huge canon by any means, but they're really going to put storytelling first. And Mm -hmm. I think that they're going to be willing to kind of play with things and, and bend things a little bit here and there is my instinct. Yeah, storytelling first. I love that if you if you listen to Joseph and I talk about the potential use of Boba Fett, it starts to sound like uh, Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart after a while. <laughs> with whiskey trying to come to terms with their past, and I love it. <laughs> I've got another, this is a trivia question from Ted Comet, but it does bring up a point that I'd like to talk about for the show. <laughs> Which lasted longer, the Empire or the New Republic, and by how much? I I was told there'd be no math, first of all. But. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Is it New Republic by, what is that, 11 years or something? I can't remember. Uh, it's, I, it's more like five, I, seven. I, I, it, yeah. New Republic was like 30 years total yeah. compared to 23, 24 for the Empire, so six years. Right. Yeah. I would answer that the same way I answered actual math questions of just saying more. The New Republic was for more, <laughs> and I'm not going to show my work. Yeah, but- and I'm done competing. <laughs> I'm done competing for your little title, Alex. So I don't <laughs> stuff anymore. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about the New Republic because we got to see those X-Wings in both trailers. And in the first one, I, I, I thought that it was like, oh, maybe they're working together. I, I kind of hoped that it would be an antagonistic relationship between the Mandalorian and the New Republic. And it kind of looks like that's what they are hinting at in the special look. What do you What do you guys think about that? Just- yeah, I mean the other the other possibility we thought of was that it was some kind of escort uh, to to wherever he was going, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, well, to to quote something that uh, that Ken said when we were doing our first look, I think it might be some trailer chicanery. I think it might be one of those moments that we're uh, overanalyzing, and it might be as simple as sure. you know, Mando's going somewhere that the New Republic is watchful of, and they swoop in and like hey who the hell are you and he's like i'm here i'm doing this then they're like okay (laughs) you know it might not be a big conflict and then they're escorting him uh but i'm just i'm super excited to see the new republic uh that their appearance in the first season was one of my favorite things i really really like this storytelling that in the outer rim where the criminals supported by the empire created what economy and what structure there was there is this yeah things are kind of falling apart there uh, because like going to Tatooine, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Jabba's dead. Jabba's dead. So uh, the little economy that he set up is not there anymore. And that's why the canteen is empty and the guild's not really there and all that. Uh, but I like the idea that the New Republic, while not perfect, is working hard in their areas of the galaxy, in particular, like, you know, the core and the inner rim are like, they are a force and they're a force to be feared. I loved in the first season when the X-Wings were coming in and everybody's like, oh, damn here comes the new Republic and we are in trouble. So I'm, I was really excited to see that there's going to be more of that new Republic storytelling. Yeah. I think Joseph and I both love the reference early with grief cargo kind of, you know, teasing the Mandalorian. What, what are you, what are you going to go report it to the new Republic? Yeah. 
but everyone's going to run from those X-Wings and <laughs> they're there. And, and I like that there. And, and the idea too, them being present, uh, Joseph and I had talked about this uh, on our, on our uh, preview episode too. It's just like, I have this thought. I love it being on the outer rim and being away. I don't need uh, to see the main characters, but eventually if you've got a guy going around calling himself a moth and he's got squadrons of stormtroopers, maybe even a, uh, a, a star destroyer or something, but we might see bigger. He's got some outland uh, outlander tie fighters. Eddie's and he's definitely got an E web that he loves uh, at some point. That's got to get back to the desk of Mon Mothma, Akbar, Leia, Crix, maybe even, uh, you know, uh, it's at some point they're going to be like, we got, we got something going on. I don't expect that to happen in the show. Uh, I don't think Favreau is dealing with those kind of little micro facts, but, as as the, the the new republic shows up in each season, at some point they can't ignore some some of the stuff going on. Sure. Uh, got two uh, not questions, just statements. Uh, Pass Steinin says, "Spoiler alert: Han Solo dies in Star Wars, and Vader is Luke's father." <laughs> oh man! No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Red Mouse says, "Jedi versus Sith equals good versus evil. Jedi versus Mandos equals law versus chaos." I don't know that I agree with that i i don't know that i see the mandalorians as complete chaos duchess satine would disagree yeah yeah yeah, yeah but at one point yeah i think yeah. i think when we get to the high republic i think we're going to see straight up chaos with the nile yeah yeah that that sounds oh. like <laughs> yeah yeah maybe a, a selfless versus selfish for jedi mando it's all, it's all really interesting stuff too if they I love how what they've been doing in that first season. I think you're going to continue to do it where there's just like one or two really evocative sentences. So I would love, uh, you know, following up on that, uh, that comment to see if, uh, if it's Ahsoka, if it's any other, if it's a member of the church of force, if it's, you know, younger Lor Santeca, <laughs> however they wanted <laughs> to do that, whatever it is, Lor Santeca's buddy, Fred, uh, Van Seca, uh, that, uh, that there's a little bit of an allusion to this, the the fights between the Jedi and the Mandos in the past and what it means, you know, like the art, the way the armor is talking about the Jedi, that's like, that's like real ancient stuff. Like the armor yeah, yeah. feels like, yeah, this is, this is from the, uh, the old Testament Mandalorian views. It's songs feel like, of sorcerers, you know, do you feel like she's being coy? Like, I, I feel like she knows what a Jedi is and it's just like, Ooh, so yeah. Songs sing of like this ancient race. And it's like, come on, you probably, uh, I, I think on a practical <laughs> level, I think Favreau grew up with a Star Wars that didn't share as much uh, specificity that wasn't as grounded in, in rules in reality mm -hmm. and a Star Wars that was much more about romantic myth. And I think he likes telling the story that way. And I think Filoni respects that and also tries to keep the canon. So I think that the, the way that those things work to me is that the armorer is making a choice to approach Mandalorian culture and philosophy from the old ways. And she talks in the old ways and she shares information in the old ways. Yeah. Cause one thing we, we know about Mandalorians from Clone Wars and, and particularly rebels, they love to brag about fighting Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they love to tell you got a minute. I'll tell you about our, our history fighting the Jedi. So the fact that, they don't really know. And, and Mando seems like I remember watching episode two and doing our breakdowns on the Mandalorian report with Joseph and I, and I, and I'm just, I was kind of convinced that Mando was lying to Quill when he's just like, I, I don't know what that was about. I was like, he's gotta be lying, right? He's gotta be lying. And it turns out he wasn't again, it, you know, as, as, as Joseph always says with us, uh, engage with the story presented to you. Mando was telling you the truth there in that moment from what he knew, from what he knew, the information he had. So I'm intrigued that he doesn't really know, and that maybe the armor has a different way of telling it. And then Bo if Bo-Katan shows up or anyone else shows up and has a connection to that uh, and is like, oh, yeah, it's 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 true. And, and you're going to and this this little thing is one of those. Uh, now you got to deal with it. That That's kind of the romantic storytelling that Joseph was referencing there. Another question coming in from Phil V.E. Thank you for the super chat. How will you react if Boba doesn't wear his armor? That's I kind of I, I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I want old man Fett who look, let Cobb Vanth take it, and I want Cobb Vanth to be Timothy Oliphant. Again, mm -hmm. all of those things I will let go if they don't happen, but right now, man, is it fun to think about. Yeah, I think Cobb Vanth walking around in those spurs makes some sense, uh, but I'd be happy either way. But yeah, I, again, dealing with who is Boba Fett outside of the armor, because where is he now at this point in his life after crawling, if, if he has in fact crawled out of that Sarlacc pit, 
and, and has to deal with, uh, as Joseph was saying earlier, several things that he's maybe failed to be or live up to or run away from. That, that's interesting to me. Yeah. I'm going to say one more thing about Boba Fett because we got the question. Otherwise, I was going to let Boba Fett go. I can, <laughs> I can do it. I can let Boba Fett go. The other thing to me that is fascinating about it is it is he as a character is a great intersection of Favreau and Filoni because uh, I think Favreau loves him in the way that people grew up with the original trilogy did who had time to three years to think of him as the coolest thing ever before he got, you know, hit in the back with a jetpack like a dummy, which is why I think other people are like, come on, he's not that badass. But if you grew up with him and had those three years from 1980 to 83 to imagine him as the coolest guy ever with the coolest ship ever, who's the only guy who can catch Han Solo. Favreau has all of that in his heart. And Filoni spent a bunch of time writing the character, the real person, Boba Fett as a mm -hmm. kid, the one who's a clone, the one who saw Mace Windu, you know, chop his father's head off. The one who wants to prove himself as the best bounty hunter. So between the two of them, they have like both sides of what this character has been that they really hold as creators. Molly, what do you think about seeing Boba Fett, but not in the armor? I think that's the more interesting take, to be honest. I but I really... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think to, to see him... Uh, in a completely different light um we don't know what he's been up to you know maybe he's been trying to turn his life around and or maybe he's just been you know dealing with a lot of ptsd and depression for a long time um i think that's the more interesting story to tell kind of like the luke that we got in the last jedi um we want to see what what really is happening with boba fett and, well, and I, how he's uh, dealing with life these days. Yeah, I, I love the idea that they just straight up, like maybe that Tatooine episode starts and it's like, there's the armor. It's Bo Everyone's going to be like, oh my God, it's Boba Fett. And he like walks out and then he takes the helmet off and it's Timothy Oliphant. And everyone will be like, what? Like, I think that would be such a fun fake out. Uh, and then to eventually see Boba Fett. But yeah, like it it is kind of odd. This takes place five-ish years after Return of the Jedi. So Cobb Banth, if all of this is true, has just had this armor for that long and Boba Fett's done nothing about it. All of a sudden, he wants to get it back. Like, that does seem kind of odd. And I think it would be the more interesting thing to explore him without the armor and see how he's grown. Because especially the comics recently, which are in between Empire and Jedi, they're not treating Boba Fett as any sort of anti-hero or someone you can root for. He's pretty brutal. Uh, so it, it would be interesting to see how <laughs> falling into the Sarlacc pit changed him. Do we do we think Din knows who Boba Fett is? I feel like a bounty hunter who's also a Mandalorian would have to, <laughs> but he doesn't yeah. know what a Jedi is, so... I yeah. would think so, too. If whatever exact thing the Empire did to really uh, put their boot on the neck of Mandalore, like, you know, we left off in Rebels with it looked like they were going to rise up and uh, it doesn't I don't think they did. So I, the Empire did something pretty rough to the Mandalorians. So then for a while, Boba Fett's well known as the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy. He's kind of the face of a Mandalorian. I kind of think that Din would be like, you are a fake the whole galaxy thinks you're what a mandalorian is and you went around the galaxy with no honor and then got taken out like a chump <laughs> that's <laughs> din's perspective on boba fett would be fascinating <laughs> i'm gonna cut myself off no more boba fett from me <laughs> <laughs> uh colton roberts says best crossover ever thank you uh will we ever see someone claim the title of mandalore again whether it be boba or din or sabine or bo katan uh, I, I did. I was going to ask you this later, but we'll do it now. Do you think we're going to see the dark saber change hands? And if so, will it mean a new leader for the Mandalorians, specifically in season two? I don't think it will necessarily specifically change hands in season two, but I, I think I think you need to that that weapon. Um, that weapon is it means means two things it can be used to uh unite or it can be used to divide and, and and conquer so to speak as as we see how maul uses it versus how 
uh, Sabine was taught, uh, you know, how you have to earn it and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not just a simple sword pulled from the stone. You got it. You're the leader. Yay. Uh, it, there has to, it has to be earned, not just in your actions, but, but in your heart, so to speak. And, and I'm speaking very general about what it is. So we know Moth Gideon probably, you know, pretty good guess. He doesn't want to unite. Uh, he wants to use it for power uh, and to divide and conquer like like Maul did. So for Bo-Katan to come back and 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 to try to reclaim it, I think it's I think it's an important, valuable story to that to that weapon that that the the trials of the dark saber stuff with Sabine Wren is some of the most powerful uh, storytelling in Star Wars, I think. And and is Tia Sakar so great and Canon Jarrus and uh, Freddie Prinze? Uh, it's just it's just one of my favorite bits of Star Wars. So I'd love to see it really matter, and I, I want them to maybe take their time um and i don't even know if it's this show you know <laughs> like, i don't know maybe maybe it's some maybe that's a disney plus the 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 the, the fight for the dark saber i don't know yeah i think the the child will get it by the end of the second season <laughs> <laughs> now i i think that that's one like a question that really is about what is the pace of the big picture storytelling like i think each individual episode each individual chapter of season two is going to be action-packed and fun but to me the one of the biggest questions is how much is the big picture story going to move? And if Moff Gideon's kind of the, the big bad for the next several seasons, it might not change hands uh, this season. Yeah. What you said earlier about it, the slow burn, we still don't even know what they want the child for or why they want it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, that's crazy to me. Um, but we did, didn't he say in some interviews that he was going to fight with the Darksaber? He said something along the lines of, like, Moff Gideon's pretty good with it. So it's like a sneaky hint. Yeah, it Maybe. feels like, okay, we're going to see him probably fight someone with a lightsaber. I don't know. Or some sort of energy weapon. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to see if we see a lightsaber fight yeah. in, in this show at all. I'm like... Do we do we want that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy about the idea, but that's just my gut reaction. We just love over at Force Center that Giancarlo Esposito is just in full dropping dimes territory. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's this, here's that. Oh, did I tell you about this? We're only doing four seasons, and I have a lightsaber fight. Like, I yeah, <laughs> I've learned more from Giancarlo Esposito quotes than I have from the actual trailer and special look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's- <laughs> a good point that's i agree i don't think we're gonna see the dark saber change hands anytime soon but if it were to end up with someone who would be your best guess or your your hope i'll do the mm. <laughs> i mean look i'll i i i definitely would want it to be bo katan but also star wars very much is is about generations coming up behind you and 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 passing on what you've learned and sabine wren you know takes the dark saber and says i'll find the rightful leader finds it's bo katan and who's to say that she now doesn't do the same to something else uh, someone else um not saying it's uh din Djarin or or even the child the child in full mando armor with the dark saber i'm not saying that's, that's the end game <laughs> <laughs> don't want that pl- i'll hold that plush an entire episode molly I'll be holding that one. um but so but uh, but i'll still go bo katan yeah, I, I see it just this is uh, speculating uh, responsibly because I'll let it go if it's not true. I see it being offered to, to Din Djarin kind of thing and him really having to wrestle like that seems like a a high point of what do you want to be, you know, not not the you want to be the Mandalorian in a way by being Mandalore. Um, yeah, but I, I can I agree with Ken in general. I think it will ultimately either be passed off or this is uh, upsetting, but it's the way of things, or be destroyed and have mm. to be like a new symbol of the new way. Because I think the storytelling of the Mandalorian has so far been so attached to core themes that, you know, if, if Lucas was a plush doll and you pulled a string and these are the seven things he said about Star Wars, those seven things are what's driving the Mandalorian. And I think it growth, change, mentors get out of the way for the new way is I think that's where it's going to go in some way, either handing it off or a new symbol of Mandalore rising. Huh. Yeah, being, being destroyed is interesting to me because yeah. one of these kind of 
you know, fantasy tropes and 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 myth, uh, all the stuff uh, Joseph's talking about. Like, like the, it's the pursuit of the thing that not only is it about, but it's the pursuit of the thing that affects the characters the most. Uh, you know, pr- whether it be a sword in the stone or an iron throne or something, and it's usually uh, not about who ends up on it or with it. And so that's interesting too. Dark is maybe not necessarily quite that level yet, but it could get there now that it's there and everyone's going, "What's that thing that Moff Gideon was holding?" All the people who haven't watched Rebels or Clone Wars. It could get to that level, and again, not not the not uh, who ends up with it, but why they're going after it is, is would be the interesting part. So yeah, I can see dropping it. it. Yeah, my first guess would have been I think maybe Din Djarin will end up with it at the end because I think it would be cool to see like just like a Mandalorian, someone who maybe wasn't even considered worthy at the start, an mm. orphan growing up to become like the Mandalore, but to match up with the themes we're talking about, about how he has to like abandon the way for the sake of his child. That makes a lot more sense that like, Hey, maybe all of us Mandalorians need to not hold on to these symbol, this literal weapon. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a, that's a really great thought. I think if it got destroyed, I don't think that that would happen this season. Mm, They just started selling toys. (laughs) No, 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 (laughs) (laughs) no, I agree. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see the armorer destroy it. I'd also love I, someone in chat there. Uh, the Herbal Hub, the Herbal Hub with yeah, Vivian Campbell, herbalist, uh, said something about the armor. Armorer should that's a great username by the way. Uh, the the armorer could be worthy enough, and I I would I, we love the armor. Mm-hmm. Over, we really do. But I also could see her just like Cole, drop it in here. Ooh, this is done. Yeah. At the end of season four or something like that. Okay, well, we got like four minutes left, <laughs> but we still have some questions. We'll try to run through them, and I, it just disappeared off my chat, so sorry, James Oki, I can't pull it up, but uh, their prediction for Season 2, Mando, is that Moff Gideon is a descendant of Tar Vizsla. Hmm. Okay. I, I, like, I like the idea more. I think that he's just an Imperial. He's just some jerk that stole this thing. Some, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know that he has any right to it. I think. I think I like that a little more. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of him sort of misinterpreting the way of the Mandalore and thinks that the way of the Mandalore is just about force, uh, always being hunter, never being prey, and basically mm-hmm. saying like, if I can take this from you uh, by force, then I am your culture now. And like thinking about what a sort of violation that is to other Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think he's all about having power and knowledge over people. Like when. Uh, he comes in and he's like, I know you, I know you, I know you. Um, and then at the end, he's got the dark saber. Like, I think he's just a power hungry Imperial dude. And uh, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Matthew Tudge. Uh, thank you for your super chat and message later. Could we see Mando wield a lightsaber to take on Moff with the dark saber? I wonder if. I don't, I mean, I, I like visual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know that I see the Mando using a lightsaber. I don't know why. I think that's a, yeah. I I would put that in as a a definite uh, possibility. I think one thing we might really see is Mando trying to embrace the old ways. In I know we've seen this in things like Rebels, but I think there might be a different spin of like how much Mando uh, fighting and technology is based on fighting Jedi. If he's really got to tap into the old ways that he hasn't been familiar with up till now in order to uh, fight off a dark saber attack. I got child. a question. The child's oh. <laughs> <laughs> got a question from our buddy Ferris. What's up, man? Uh, really enjoying this star Wars conversation. Do you all think we will be on another planet? Not named Tatooine. <laughs> like I love Tatooine, but come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, and I, I love learning new planets and new worlds. I really, do. I love going back to f- familiar uh, ones. I think the use of Tatooine was great to show what's really happened there and, and what's what the underworld went through when it was once a thriving business, not so much anymore. But yeah, as much as, you know, I, I've watched all of Alex and Molly's videos on Ilum, as much as I want Ilum to be in this, I, I don't, I don't, I think it's going to be. I'm right new, there with you. Entire new planet, <laughs> you know, snowy mountaintop prime. And, and I don't think it's going to be so, uh, something we know. So same with Tatooine. Yeah, I think I love new planets and we're definitely going to get some. Ordo Platunia 2. <laughs> I, I definitely want that to be Ilum. That's what my heart says, but I'm like, that, that's when I have to just temper my expectations. More than likely, it's just a new random ice planet. 
Well, yeah, yes, but the the the, the extra level of excitement is because Filoni's involved, and he's right, right. planned uh, so well before, and then a little appearance in uh, Fallen Order. You know, it's mm. definitely not out the realm, not of the realm of possibilities, and it's something I actively want. I would like that to happen, but uh, yeah, most likely not, because because Favreau's going to be like, what's an Ilum? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The thing I want most out of Ilum, I think we can get from a uh, new planet, which is I want uh, some sort of force user or, or some other guide to say, hey, if you really want to understand this kid, you can go into this weird temple. I would love to see the Mando and the child without anyone really to guide them have to kind of uh, confront themselves the way temples we, we've seen in other stories make you confront yourself. That would be really cool to me. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for like a an alphabet squadron style thing where we get the mysticism of the force without a person who is force sensitive, obviously the child is, but to see the Mando learn that side of the galaxy would be fun. Yeah. Uh, question from the French taunter. <laughs> who did the Mando <laughs> take the child from in episode one? Hoping we at least get a mention of who they were uh, or who they were working for. That's, I don't know if we're, I, I go back and forth on whether or not they're ever going to address it. Like I could just see that, being like, hey, this little baby is valuable and we were trying to sell it on the black market or something. Like, I, I can't decide if that's important or not. But I also would have been like, well, they're definitely not going to bring back the the blue mithril from <laughs> episode one. Uh, and that seems to be happening. So maybe all of this stuff is uh, all connected. He's yeah, connected to stop. all of it. <laughs> He's the key Mr. to all of it. Mr. Vactube is behind it all. <laughs> We, yeah. we saw all those people with all those tracking fobs. I, I don't think that that person was, was going to be anyone specific or anyone special. It, it, you know, if Horatio Sands is uh, being brought back, then clearly it's going to be Jimmy Fallon with some sort of Star Wars mask on. <laughs> I, I took the baby. Yay! Uh, giggle, giggle, break character, break character. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's tremendously important, but it's a fun, it's a fun question. I, I would love that information at some point, but it's just uh, one of those uh, uh, story starting points, you know? Okay, we got two more questions, and then I'll let you guys go, because we just hit over an hour. Uh, Ted Comet wants to know how tracking fobs work. Uh, get that question all the time. And who our favorite clones are. I don't think that the tracking fobs to me are just like hyperspace. Like the more you look into some of this stuff in Star Wars, the more the less it makes sense. And it's just yeah. it's just a magic device <laughs> that points to. I don't think they're ever going to explain that. Maybe Pablo in a visual dictionary someday is going to say something about mm. it. But. Well, we got that one coming out, so there's probably mm-hmm. some Hidalgo snark in there about why it right. worked or, or something, and and I and that's information again I want too, but it's just kind of one of those fun things. I don't I don't Neil deGrasse Tyson a lot of the Star Wars uh, plot, right? Yeah. yeah, I think they work on DNA, and I think there's all sorts of scenes we didn't see in the original trilogy where everyone from the rebellion was constantly wiping everything down before they left a place, so that <laughs> none of their DNA could be found to be used in a tracking fob and Echo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and just like we talked about I think it was on on a Lego live stream um, are there time zones in Star Wars (laughs) right do we need to know that there are is there hyperspace jet lag like there is a, nope. there there is a, a, a canon novel that mentions something about that, right, Joseph? Do you remember that? It's not yeah. like I don't remember which. There's some sort of galactic standard, and in, in the movies would yeah. suggest that. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is a, a lot of the creators involved in Star Wars really put storytelling first. It goes back to the essential truth of uh, the Tie Fighters screaming in space is real cool. They wouldn't, but that's never going to be changed. But I think if you do like those kind of details, I think Hidalgo and many other people do a great job of you know, incredible cross sections. I think if that's a part of your fandom, I think that information is out there. Yeah. Or will be someday. Yeah. Uh, and my favorite clone is fives. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I like fives heavy. I like heavy a lot too. <laughs> uh, last question. We have star Wars, Santa asking a snow related question. That's nice. Uh, chance chances that the ice planet is Cronest, uh, the home of the Mandalorian where Sabine grew up. That's not a bad guess. I I that makes more sense maybe than some of the other guesses I've seen. Yeah, they're all good. I, 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 there's a, a planet in Tarkin I've heard suggested and everything. Uh, they're all good. The the Sabine Ren uh, the the mm-hmm. 
House Wren connection to Clan Wren. Uh, that's 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 intriguing to me. It looks like there's does look like there's some sort of Clone Wars damage there, right? Maybe that's a clone ship or something. I, and one of those shots, or maybe it's a Razor Crest, and I'm overthinking it. I can't remember to be honest with you. Um, but I, I'm I'm with Joseph. And I, I want it something. If it's something brand new, I'd love to be there. Something on the planet that that maybe even the child feels feels familiar with. You know, there's that one shot of him, and a lot of people were kind of. Uh, speculating uh, irresponsibly of like he, the child looks like he's been there before. I'm okay with that. Like him just kind of, maybe that's his first word home. Uh, I don't know. You know? Yeah. And, or maybe he's like, if it is Elam as, as Alex wants it to be so, so badly, or if there's some kind of temple there, maybe he's drawn to something there. Oh, I and love Mando's that picture. just like lead the way. <laughs> yeah, he just runs off like he's in his terrible twos, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, ah, what? What am I gonna do? Kid ran into a Jedi temple. Got to go after him. Yeah. Frightening fifties, I think they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! I can't. I cannot wait. I'm so close to my frightening fifties. It's gonna be great. <laughs> You're gonna throw a lot of tantrums. I can tell. Uh, <laughs> Well, thank you both for hanging out for an hour talking Mando with us. Uh, I think the plan for this is for both of you to come back uh, so we can break down episode eight and the entire season. Uh, If all that works down, we'd love to have you back. But until then, um, please let everyone know where they can follow you. I put a link in the description and in the chat to Force Center. I'm sure you guys will be breaking down every episode as well. We are. We're going to be uh, relaunching our show, The Mandalorian Report. We're currently doing the Clone Wars Report, going through all of the Clone Wars episodes. I know you both are as well. And we we at Force Center love, uh, you know, pull up a chair, uh, grab maybe even a notepad and a whiskey, and just kind of dive in deep. And that's what we're going to be doing with Mandalorian Report. And you can follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. Podcasts available, uh, you know, basically wherever podcasts are found, (laughs) including Amazon Music now. Great. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. so glad to have you on and I look forward to your breakdowns. I, I say a lot that I don't watch or listen to a lot of other Star Wars content creators, not because I don't love them, but because uh, we talk about so much of the same stuff. But Kim and Joseph are two people that consistently make me think of things in a different way. So I, I love listening to all of your stuff and I recommend everyone check them out. Oh, thank but, you. And, yeah. And thank, uh, thank you, uh, both of you, for always just being uh, awesome hosts, awesome friends, and just the endless great resource that your channel is. I can't tell you how many times that Ken and I are sitting down to record in our separate homes on Monday morning, and my last thing is like, I got to double check that detail. <laughs> <laughs> look it up on Star Wars Explained. <laughs> uh, absolutely. There's been times I've been contacted for writing scripts on some YouTube channel video, and I just they I get the pitch, and I go, so basically you just want to Star Wars Explained video, right? Why don't you just why don't you just go over there and watch that? So yeah. <laughs> we are fans of you as well. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, that's gonna be it for today's show. We're gonna be back next week at probably about the same time to talk about the season premiere uh with a brand new guest. Uh right now it's gonna be the Resistance broadcast. That's what we have planned. So uh look forward to that. And uh thank you all for hanging out and watching. Thank you for your questions and super chats, and may the force be with you. <laughs>